Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Leisha here with you in Melbourne, Australia. And firstly, a big thank you for listening. You've noticed a lot more listeners of the podcast of late. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. If you're a, a existing listener, thanks for sticking with us as well. Hopefully, I can continue to make the podcast relevant and useful to you. Always, if you do want to send feedback, podcast at amazon.com is the place to do it. And if there is people who don't know that the podcast exists, do tell them because people often like to find that out. So I'm going to run through a few of what I would call small but perfectly formed updates today, things that uh, are really relevant for what customers want to see in the different services that we provide and things that may make your life easier, simpler, quicker, etc. And that's one of the things I like about what the teams do when they're building these services is they get something out that's useful to people, but then they listen to customer feedback and say, hey, what can we do next? And they get that out really, really quickly. So without any further ado, let me talk you through some of them. So this is for AWS Code Pipeline. Now, AWS Code Pipeline is a great way to deliver uh, automation in your code delivery service. It lets you string together different things you do in a particular automated development process, and you should be automating everything in your environment. So AWS Code Pipeline now gives you the ability to view history of pipeline executions. You can do this through the console, and you can see all the details and any changes that took place with each execution. You can track things like status of the execution, the start time, the end time, and the duration as well. Now, you can view this through the Code Pipeline API and the CLI as well. And this makes it really easy to see what's been going on. So if you haven't played with AWS Code Pipeline, you probably should take a look at it. And it's available in a number of regions. I'll give you the list right now. US East North Virginia, US East Ohio, US West Oregon, EU Ireland, EU Frankfurt, Asia Pacific Singapore, Asia Pacific Sydney, Asia Pacific Tokyo, and South America Sao Paulo regions. So that's a good one to have a go with. Another nifty little change is something to AWS Budgets. Now, AWS Budgets lets you set custom AWS cost and usage budgets and get notifications if you breach those budget thresholds. So one of the great things about operating in AWS is that you get to see how much particular architectural decisions cost. So it's always important to set budgets and keep a track of those. And you can set budgets to monitor your total monthly cost. You can filter them based upon specific linked accounts, etc. And that's one of the new things that's taken place is you can now use linked accounts and look at costs by different tag groups. And your linked accounts will now also have access to AWS budgets. So you can get a really holistic view of what's going on. You can now also use the new usage type and usage type group filtering dimensions to track your AWS costs as well. And you can go from an aggregate level down to the most basic unit at which AWS services are metered. So you get fine-grained precision in understanding your budgets. So you may choose to have specific categories of EC2 usage, S3 usage, DynamoDB usage, etc. And you can choose to view that at any different level of aggregation that you want. So this gives you much more visibility into the spend than you've ever had before. Now, when you're deploying onto AWS in any large sort of way, one of the things I often recommend to customers is having tags for your resources so it's easy to find and identify what's going on. And one tool that AWS customers use a lot, particularly in enterprise customers, is something called AWS Service Catalog. And this allows you to manage an approved set of software and infrastructure products on AWS. Now, there is a new feature within this service called Tag Options Library. And this allows you to set up a standard set of tags and automatically populate the tag options library with all the tag options that they may have already. So this means you can associate with different portfolios, with different products, etc., and you can determine who has access to what tags. So this means no one's coming up with a new tagging strategy each and every time. They can just use the approved one. 
Now, another new capability that's available is for a service called Amazon Route 53. And Route 53 is, of course, a DNS service. And DNS is one of those mightily powerful services on the internet that we tend to take for granted. So the Amazon Route 53 team have created a new feature for Route 53. And this is the support for multi-value answers in responses to DNS queries. And you know, this is not a substitute for a load balancer, but it's nice sometimes to be able to return multiple health checkable IP addresses in response to a DNS query. And this could be used to balance load, route traffic, etc. So Route 53 now will be able to give up to eight healthy records in response to each DNS query. And the nice thing is that Amazon Route 53 will give different answers to different DNS resolvers. So if a web server becomes unavailable after a resolver caches a response, the client software can try another IP address in the response. So you get to manage things in a quite a fault tolerant way. Now you can create these multi-value answer records programmatically using the Route 53 API, the CLI or the SDKs as well. You can also use the console to set it up as well. So a very easy way for you to get that particular requirement sorted. Now in any environment, monitoring is important and AWS Direct Connect is a service that many of our customers use to connect uh, from their existing infrastructure into AWS. And AWS Direct Connect now provides Amazon CloudWatch monitoring as well. So it will, each uh, of the physical AWS Direct Connect connections will post up to eight metrics that are available in your console and also through the CLI so that you can monitor what's going on in your environment today. So a nice new integration there, that's good to go. Now I know a lot of our listeners uh, like to use the Microsoft ecosystem for software development. So one of the new things that's taken place is that we have .NET Core support for AWS Code Build and AWS Code Star. So this really helps you deploy those cross-platform .NET Core applications very, very quickly. Uh, AWS Code Build can now build your .NET Core application code, and it can be deployed to both uh, Amazon EC2 and AWS Lambda as well. Now, if you forgot, Code Build is a fully managed build service that means you have to manage servers or install software, etc. It just compiles and packages your code for you. AWS CodeStar is a really great ability to start from templated development environments and get going really quickly. It builds pretty much everything you need for a fully automated modern development tool chain. And so now there are two new project templates for .NET Core applications, which can be deployed to EC2 instances as well. So it also includes .NET Core sample code and, of course, the full tool chain as well. So take a look at those if you're developing in .NET Core. Now, one of my favorite things to talk about on the podcast, besides architecture and new things, is price reductions. And so we have the 67th AWS price reduction to announce, and this is a reduction of the on-demand and reserved instance prices for Microsoft SQL Server Standard Edition on EC2. And this is for instances running on the R4, M4, I3, and X1 instance families. And the reductions, depending on the region, are anything up to 52%. So these are significant price reductions. The prices, uh, the reductions went into play on July the 1st of 2017. So it happened a little while ago and you didn't have to do anything to get that reduction. You simply get it. But um, I'll link in the show notes to the list of all the different price reductions. So you may notice a substantial saving in your bill if you're using that particular software stack. Another exciting change for those of you who like to use AWS CloudFormation for your automation and you should, you should automate everything you can, is that there are some significant updates to the capability of CloudFormation. So firstly, there are some new resources that you can provision. You can provision 
the API gateway domain name. You can specify EC2 egress only internet gateways and you can do the EMR instance fleet config, which means you can configure a spot instance fleet for your EMR cluster. There is also some updated support so you can specify the binary media type for the API gateway REST API. You can specify uh, the scaling policy for application auto scaling as well. You can specify the CloudTrail custom name as well, as well as specifying tags for your CloudTrail. You can specify deployment groups for code deploy and configure alarms and notification triggers. Uh, as I mentioned, you can configure the EMR cluster spot instance fleet configuration. You can specify the time to live settings for a DynamoDB table and also specify resource tags for a DynamoDB table. You can also specify or support, I should say, the no interruption updates for the IAM instance profile for EC2 instances. The AWS Kinesis stream now supports the retention period hours property to specify how long data records stored in shards remain accessible. The RDSDB cluster now will use the replication source identifier property appropriately. And the AWS Redshift cluster property will create audit log files and store them in Amazon S3 using the logging properties property. So a whole bunch of changes there. I simply highlight it to show you that the uh, CloudFormation team are always working hard to extend what you can automate and what you can repeat over and over again. So here's a security update for you. Uh, for those of you who have ever looked at using the AWS Web Application Firewall, this is a service that lets you protect your application from many different kinds of application layer attacks that involve requests that are malicious or malformed. Let's face it, lots of nasty things can happen out there on the internet. So having a mechanism to protect against that would be a good thing. So now the service is making available rate-based rules for the WAF. So this gives you control of when IP addresses are added to and removed from a blacklist and also the ability to handle exceptions and special cases. So let me run through very quickly what some of those capabilities are. So firstly, you can blacklist IP addresses that make requests at a rate that exceeds a configured threshold rate, so you can set that high watermark. You can see which IP addresses are currently blacklisted. You can uh, remove automatically blacklisted um, IP addresses if they no longer make those bad requests anymore. Um, you can exempt certain IP addresses as well so that you can have a whitelist to stop the rule affecting those particular IP addresses. And of course, you can watch an alarm on CloudWatch metrics that are published for each rule. So this gives you some really interesting options in terms of how you choose to protect uh, against different forms of attacks. Um, these are available now and the rate-based rules are priced the same as the regular rules as well. So you can just use them as you need them. And speaking of AWS WAF, there is a new white paper that might be uh, really of interest to you. Uh, if you are following a follower of the Open Web Application Security Project called OWASP, then you'll know they do a huge amount of work to help improve the security of web applications. And one of the nice things they do is they create what's called the OWASP Top 10, which talks about what the 10 most critical application security flaws are. So there is a new white paper that's been released called Use AWS WAF to Mitigate OWASP's Top 10 web application vulnerabilities. So this gives you a guideline of how to um, put into play meaningful rules that address those top tens as well. So I'll link that in the show notes and you can use that. It also has a uh, companion AWS CloudFormation template that creates a web ACL and a whole lot of recommended uh, rules, etc., that you can take advantage of too. So uh, link in the show notes, make sure you check that out if you are security conscious. 
And for the last update, many of our customers use CloudWatch dashboards, which is a, a great way to view your CloudWatch metrics in graphical form. You can sort of customize and see all different types of information that you want to see in the way you want to see it. Well, now there is API and CloudFormation support for those dashboards. What this means is you can now create them very, very quickly and easily in an automated and repeatable fashion. So you can use the API to make function calls to create those dashboards when you want to, or you can do it on a repeatable fashion using CloudFormation templates as well. Now this is available now, you can start using it today. You can create three dashboards with up to 50 metrics per dashboard at no charge. Additional dashboards are priced at $3 per month. You can also make up to 1 million calls to the new API functions each month at no charge. And beyond that, you pay just one cent for every 1,000 calls. So I think we caught up on a lot of different things there. Hopefully there was something for you in that particular episode. As ever, we love to get your feedback, podcast at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.